Hi, this is Bobby Kamari, and I want to thank you for listening to season two of the Living in Light podcast, where the whole season is going to be dedicated to the fabulous topic of sacred sexuality. I hope it blesses your socks off. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. This is part two of a three-part teaching where I am addressing the repercussions of engaging in worldly sex and intimacy. And if you haven't listened to part one, then do shimmy back to episode seven and have a listen to me addressing the physical repercussions and basically introducing the whole topic, which will then lead you on to today's episode, which is about the emotional and soulish repercussions of counterfeit intimacy. And I am basically just gonna dive straight in. So, as I've mentioned before, we are made up of body, spirit and soul and the soul is made up of our mind, will, intellect and emotions. It's our essence, our personality, our disposition, our desires and it's so deeply linked to our heart and our spirit that they often interlink. So let me explain the spirit. Our spirit is the divine God nature of us designed to be in regular communion with him and a healthy soul is one that lines up with your spirit and is fully submitted in its will, intellect and emotions to God. So when we're feeding our spirit through the things of God, then our soul, our mind, will and emotions all line up with our spirit man and we walk in the spirit. But when we're feeding our flesh more than our spirit, then our soul, our mind, will, emotions and desires gravitate towards carnal things, things of this world, and we end up experiencing a war in our soul, in our belief systems, in the way that we think, and in our emotions. And so when we engage in sexual disorder, or whenever our desires get off kilter, then we experience conflict in our mind, in our will, and in our emotions. But because our soul is so closely related to the spirit, the war that rages in our soul doesn't just have emotional and neurological repercussions, but the root of the repercussions is ultimately spiritual. So we're going to tackle the soulish, the emotional, and neurological issues first, and then in the next episode, we're going to dive into the spiritual repercussions. But as I mentioned before, they do kind of overlap with one another. So if you've been listening to the previous episodes in season two, you'll now be aware that when two people come together in sex, according to Genesis 2.24, they become one flesh and they cleave to one another and they enter a spiritual marriage covenant. And a soul tie is then created between them. A soul tie is a spiritual connection between two people who have been physically intimate with each other or who have had intense emotional or spiritual association or relationship. Soul ties and bonding will occur not just in sexual ways, but also non-sexual ways such as friendships and covenant relationships. But the most obvious context where souls get knitted together is in marriage, where two become one flesh. And because marriage is a wholly legitimate sexual union, the soul tie that is formed is godly. But if a sexual union is ungodly, then that soul tie that is formed is ungodly. And an ungodly soul tie, as we know, not only binds you together with someone in the spirit, but it actually fragments your own soul because you're giving parts of yourself away illegally. And this is super destructive. And I actually heard a very, very deep and profound teaching from Bill Johnson from Bethel Church several years ago, where he actually explains this dynamic in such a profound way. And he taught about our God-given image-bearing identities being shattered when we engage in sexual immorality and when we illegally become one flesh with another person. And the scripture that he ministered from was 1 Corinthians 6.18, which basically tells us, and I've referred to it tons of times um, in previous episodes, that every other sin that a man commits is outside the body but the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. And he goes on to explain that when we engage in sexual sin, the very essence of who we were divinely ordained to be as distinctly masculine and feminine 
as exquisite image bearers of God reflecting God's triune nature gets violated. And so it's unlike any other sin because it's against our own bodies. He also goes on to share that not only do the repercussions of sexual sin impact an individual's identity, but they impact the very God-ordained purposes for mankind. So how does this work? Basically, to understand this, you have to look at Genesis 1.27, where we are told that God created us as male and female in his image. And so when a husband and wife come together as one, God's image is fully presented, reflecting God's perfect nature and attributes in a God-given, untarnished masculinity and femininity. And then in verse 28 of the same chapter of Genesis 1, we also find out our purpose, which is to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and to rule over it. But in sexual sin, we violate both our identity and our purpose. Because from that holy union of marriage, which reveals the fullness of God's nature through both male and female, God has blessed mankind to reproduce, to take dominion and govern the earth. But when we connect so intimately with someone outside of a marriage relationship and become one flesh, our personal identity, our design and our gender perspective becomes fractured because parts of ourselves, whether they are physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual or neurological, are actually given away during the act of sex. And so as a result, we're not able to fully bear or enjoy God's likeness and demonstrate his nature if we ourselves are fragmented, which then hinders a person from discovering and embracing the full design of their identity, including their masculinity and femininity, which in turn then impacts their ability to be fruitful and multiply and flourish on all levels, including spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and even creatively. Because someone who's internally fragmented is unable to blossom to their full potential. Instead, they are likely to have a marred perspective of their self-identity and therefore unable to embrace the totality of who they were created to be or possess all that they were designed to accomplish. And so as a result, sexual immorality amongst Christians becomes a sin not just against an individual, but because it prevents a person from reaching their full potential, it is in fact a sin against the church at large. Because when individual Christians are unable to be fruitful, then they are unable to fulfill their collective purpose as the bride of Christ and to take dominion. Consequently, as the church, we're unable to walk in the fullness of our purpose and unable to be salt and light in our deeply broken world. And instead, we end up with entire generations looking for identity and intimacy in sexuality, completely unaware that every illegal pursuit of intimacy and identity outside of God's design will actually only serve to fragment who we really are and as a result we're unable to then fulfill our purpose on earth and we end up unknowingly becoming part of the very fractured culture that we were created to bless. Like when the Bible says that sexual sin is a sin against our own bodies it really is so deep in the way sexual sin fragments our individual disposition and then our disposition as the body of Christ. It's actually crazy. Um, but how does this fragmentation actually work? Well, during sexual activity, spiritual, sexual, physical, emotional and neurological bonding occurs. And though we know that the Bible refers to this as cleaving, we also know from previous episodes that even scientifically, we know that humans have been born with bonding mechanisms placed within us for future healthy, stable marriages and to be able to bond with your offspring. And so these bonding mechanisms include various chemicals that are released during sex, which then alter the neurological connections in the brain, which then wire the way that we think. And these neurotransmitters include chemicals such as oxytocin and vasopressin, which foster loyalty and bond you together neurologically. So oxytocin is a neuromodulator, which means that when a large amount is released, it changes the brain, 
forming new relational pathways, which leads to behaviors with rewards, which then creates a greater impact on the brain. And as a result, it forms habits of wanting to be with that person. And as the bonding in a relationship deepens, these brain pathways get strengthened. And oxytocin is what women generally release. And then vasopressin is what men would release. And then you've got dopamine, which is associated with pleasure and reward. And it's produced when you work up an appetite for something. And it produces feelings of well-being as you anticipate that need being met. Or when you engage in something rewarding. And it's also produced when you do something thrilling or life enhancing. And it releases a huge rush of pleasure. And dopamine is super addictive because it makes you want to experience that same pleasure again and again. And along with class A drugs, sex is one of the greatest releases of dopamine, which is how people find themselves addicted to porn. And then finally, there's also serotonin, which is associated with happiness and it helps to regulate our mood and it's involved in how you process your emotions. And there are actually countless other super yummy chemicals involved which I'm not even mentioning but these chemicals amongst many others create a pretty heady neurological cocktail of chemicals that fire and wire together which then cause a chain reaction that creates high levels of attachment and fuels the desire to keep having sex with your spouse and so in marriage hormones firing and wiring together strengthen the relationship because that's what they were designed to do Outside of marriage, however, these hormones cause you to be glued to the person you're with illegally. And the manifestation of this gluing takes place on all three levels, emotionally, physically and spiritually. So in covenant marriage, this bonding dynamic allows for the Holy Spirit to unite a couple in all dimensions. And this enhances intimacy and satisfaction and loyalty and all the good stuff. And so when a married couple engage in sex, it also enables the Holy Spirit to bless that union. But an illicit union, on the other hand, attracts ungodly spirits, such as seducing spirits, which then bind the two together illegally. And as a result, this would then invite demonic repercussions into that union on emotional, physical and spiritual levels. Because by God's design, these neurological mechanisms have been designed by God to foster healthy loyalty and commitment that's needed in marriage by emotionally gluing you to your spouse within a framework of unconditional love and yada intimacy. But when we have soul ties outside of covenant marriage, these illegal soul ties cause bondage instead of blessing and can often like either produce erratic emotional patterns devoid of peace and rest because instead of being rooted in covenant love, they are actually rooted in lust. But obviously, this doesn't mean that, you know, uh, a relationship in God isn't going to have issues. Like, obviously, heartache in love, emotional upheavals and breakups also happen in godly relationships. And they also end up occurring in marriages because we live in a fallen world. And even the most honoring marriages and relationships fall apart. And heartache will inevitably occur. But... I don't believe such repercussions were designed by God to be the norm. And they weren't designed to be experienced outside of Yada intimacy, where loving kindness, honor and stability wouldn't be the backdrop. And this is why I think one of the reasons that breakups can suck so much, because the bonding that we have been wired to experience with our spouse in sexual intimacy and all the feel-good hormones and yumminess that we're meant to be enjoying when bonding with our spouse are instead now producing feelings of depression and lethargy because they are malfunctioning when we're in a breakup. Like, we all know how hideous a breakup can feel, right? And it's because of the way it's impacting our neurology, which wasn't designed to be experiencing such pain because it wasn't meant to be experiencing such deep emotional connection or sexual intimacy outside of covenant. And this is why often when a relationship breakup occurs, we experience emotional pain that actually feels like physical pain. And research literally has shown that mechanisms in the brain 
that get activated in response to physical pain are the same ones that get activated in response to a relationship breakup. And in some studies, the emotional pain people experienced was rated as equivalent to nearly unbearable physical pain. But get this. While physical pain rarely remains at such intense levels for an extended duration of time, the pain of breakup can linger for days or weeks and even months. And this is why the suffering breakup causes can be so extreme. And research also shows that when someone goes through a breakup, they are actually withdrawing from all the chemicals that fired together and were wired together and are now compelled to unglue. So it's literally a process of chemicals ungluing in someone's neurology. And so as a result, you also experience a drop in the production of all those neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin that are associated with sex. And as our poor little brains lose this regular supply of these neurotransmitters, the brain actually goes into neurological withdrawal and the deficit of these chemicals will make you feel anxious, depressed and isolated without all these feelings of pleasure and happiness that your brain had got accustomed to. And then you've also got the anticipatory and addictive nature of the hormone dopamine, which will then also cause the brain to desperately crave the satisfaction and reward that was associated with that person, which the brain has also become accustomed to. And then you also have parts of the brain that are affected during sex, which deal with learning skills, as well as forming of habits and associated reward systems. And so if established rewards or habits formed in this part of the brain are interrupted, this also then leads to anxiety and depression. And so you basically find yourself experiencing abrupt chemical changes almost as you would in a withdrawal, complete with cravings to be reunited with that person because a breakup activates the same mechanisms in your brain that get activated when addicts are withdrawing from substances like cocaine and opioids. I mean, people, this is deep stuff. And whether you try and get with someone else straight away or you remain alone, it can sometimes take months and for some people even years to recover from a breakup with someone even after you physically separate from them. Which is why you can have someone who repeatedly returns to a relationship that they might not even want to be with and one that might have finished a long time ago because of the neurological bonding. And so it just keeps drawing you back even though that relationship is done. And it's also part of the reason that someone might still continue in a jacked up negative relationship even though they recognize that it's not actually any good for them. And it's why a person might find it difficult to stop thinking of a previous partner even though they are now happily dating someone else or even married to someone new. Or why a one night stand that was meant to be totally casual can end up being more than that even though that was never the intention. And I can actually personally relate to this because there were guys back in the day when I was a heathen, you know, before Christ that I slept with that I couldn't even remember their surnames. And I never felt in any way attached to them. And although soul ties were being created, I didn't know that that was happening back then. But I literally just did not think about them again. Yet there were other guys, like just a couple, who I may not have even gone all the way with, or I may not have spent that much time with, or got that deep with, or super intimate with. But they were literally under my skin, and I could not get them out of my mind. Sometimes for a ridiculous length of time. And it would baffle me because I couldn't understand how a fling that was so temporary could end up hurting so bad and how someone that I'd barely known could become such a permanent fixture in my soul where I was thinking about them so much after we broke up. And in hindsight, I now understand that it was mostly because chemicals such as dopamine and oxytocin, they're no respecter of values, meaning they don't care if you're bonding in a lifelong commitment, a toxic relationship or a one night stand. So even if a man and woman outside of marriage are both intending the sex to be casual, bonding will still take place because as human beings, we were wired 
two bond to our spouse. And that's what these chemicals have been designed to do. But because a female's limbic system is larger than the male's, sexual memory is stored at a larger scale in a woman's brain and attachment occurs at a deeper level. And so it seems like the woman is most impacted because of this. And it's why men often appear to get over a breakup much quicker than women. And on the surface, it may seem like men get away with being less damaged by a breakup, but within their emotional wiring, it actually adds to the male's inability to bond in the future. Because research shows that our connecting mechanisms are designed to lead towards strengthening long-term monogamous relationships that reinforce family. But when sexual partners change often, then the mechanisms are disrupted and brain patterns change and what is meant to be normal becomes completely violated. And in fact, when we engage in sexual relationships before marriage even once, this bonding mechanism that has been put in place to foster future healthy, stable marriages becomes damaged. And our capacity to emotionally bond in the future is then negatively impacted. And so when this cycle of sex bonding breakup, sex bonding breakup, sex bonding breakup is repeated even a few times or more, our inbuilt capacity to form meaningful relationships with other human beings gets damaged. And the inability to bond after multiple sex encounters is kind of like a tape that loses its stickiness after being used too many times. But in a lifelong marriage where two people remain together, this type of emotional turmoil basically has no place because the limbic emotional bonding will work to strengthen the intimacy that we've been wired for. But when this mechanism of cleaving and bonding takes place outside of marriage, it can only lead to damage because it actually conflicts with the very way we have been neurologically wired. And God designed marital unions to be lifelong and exclusive, which actually works to preserve us from this type of vain and futile attachment and from the emotional pain that results when we become attached to someone outside of marriage. And this is a crucial reason why I believe that as Christians, when we are dating, we should avoid getting physical until after marriage. Because if you do get physical, and I don't just mean having sex, but even kissing, using tongues and like making out, and then you break up, if you break up that is, then the breakup is harder to navigate through, I think, because of all of the neurological cleaving and soulish bonding that's taken place. So I personally think that waiting until after marriage preserves you from some of this heartache and bondage just in case you do end up actually breaking up. And let's face it, breakups can be hard enough to navigate through without all the sexual bonding in the mix. But also something that I would like to mention is that when I talk about God designing marriage to be lifelong, like I'm aware of the fact that, you know, sometimes divorce does happen or a spouse does die. And even as Christians or, you know, even generally you might end up having a second marriage and it ends up being from the Lord and it's a blessing. So I, I don't want to knock the fact that if second marriages have taken place or if partners have died and you've been widowed and then you've got married like so many things happen as a result of us being in a fallen world with heartache and pain and tragedy um you know even though god's original design may not have been fulfilled but that doesn't mean that god hasn't blessed it and when we talk about relationships and marriages and intimacy as adults and just the dysfunctions that we can experience whether that's after a breakup or within a marriage or you know within even within a successful relationship but usually the dysfunction that we experience as adults is actually rooted in our childhood and experiences that we have had in our younger years which can then build negative mindsets and belief systems that get triggered when we experience a wound or an issue you know, as life goes on. And we might not even know what that original lie or that wound was that keeps on getting triggered, but 
God knows. And by his spirit, he can reveal these things to us and he can redeem these things to us um, if we partner with him. And that's why just dealing with things in the natural, just intellectually, or even just neurologically doesn't actually deal with the root issue. We have got to go to the spiritual root in order to be delivered from our dysfunction. And oftentimes the lies that we've believed in our childhood are still shaping our adulthood and our relationships and our marriages and our destiny. And we actually have to invite God to replace the lies that we've believed with God's truth, breaking the hold of those demonic belief systems through the blood of Jesus and the authority of his name. And actually, until we do that, even godly relationships can end up being sabotaged and end up forming ungodly soul ties and becoming idols or a place of unhealthy attachment if there is a stronghold or a root of ungodly thinking in the mix that hasn't been dealt with. And I know that this sounds complex and it sounds very, very intense, but let me try and unpack this using some teachings on soul ties and strongholds from Pastor Paula White. So look her up online she's amazing super super powerful but this is what she explains about soul ties she says that they exist because god wanted us to have godly bonds for our best interest as part of the design of god to provide a healthy place of nurturing where love and covenant attributes could flow two ways so it's like when someone is in a relationship a covenant bond and they have a healthy soul tie then mutually love and these covenant attributes can flow two ways and so she goes on to say that a healthy place of divine exchange where two people are free to be their individual selves and they are whole even when they're alone but together they are better and that that would be by God's design But what she goes on to say is that all godly soul ties must be counterbalanced by a greater love for Jesus. So no matter who you're in a soul tie with, your love for Jesus has to be greater than your love for each other. So whoever we have a soul tie with, they must love God more than us. And so Matthew 10.37 makes reference to a man's love for Jesus must be greater than his love for another person. And when we love Jesus the most, then everything falls into place. But if, for example, we have issues, say, with an absentee father or dysfunctional intimacy experiences from our childhood, we can be super prone to seeking validation from a partner because it was something we may not have received when we were a child. And so as a result, you can be drawn to what you didn't have as a child. And because of that, you end up giving your worship and your time and your affection to that person and making them into an idol instead of seeking that need to be met by God. Because where there's a wound or where there's been an injury in your soul, there leaves a vulnerability. And where there is a vulnerability, there is an entrance to the soul for the enemy to create an ungodly soul tie that can eventually become an idol in your life because we end up dealing with the things in the present from things that are actually attached to us from the past. And so whenever we might be injured or wounded, we literally need to go to the root of that wound and that stronghold and cut that thing off in the realm of the spirit. And then we need to allow God to bring healing and wholeness to that place so that there's closure. But until we deal with that stronghold at its root, it will always be a place of attachment, even if the relationship that you are in is a godly relationship and it's a blessing from the Lord. Because God will bless us with a godly relationship or a blessing, but if that thing becomes an idol then an ungodly soul tie is formed with that person or that thing, even though they were actually a blessing from God. And so when it comes to an idol, when I say that, you know, that person or that thing can become an idol, an idol is anything that you worship or give your strength or affection to. It's what we yield ourselves to as the priority and it's what takes precedence in our life. 
And so we can erect idols in our own life by simply paying too much attention to them, by making someone a priority in our life over God because of an unfulfilled need in our life, because unfulfilled needs create places of vulnerability where the person can become an idol because you are trying to get them to meet an unmet need in your soul and so you might be driven by trying to please that person or win their love or their affection, their attention more than you are trying to impress God or more than you are endeavouring to pursue the love of God. And it's not wrong to have people in your life because we were made for connection and we were made for covenant. But when a person becomes our priority over God, then we get into an ungodly soul tie because we are trying to get something out of them that they aren't capable of providing. And we're trying to get them to meet a need that they aren't actually capable of meeting. And so it becomes an idol because we allow someone's acceptance, opinion or affirmation determine our value. And so when we allow their perception to determine and validate who we are, then we begin to open a door to living for someone else and depending on them as our source instead of depending on God to be our source. And when we seek from a person what only God can give us, then we form an ungodly soul tie with that person. And if God isn't the one meeting our needs, then we will never be satisfied. And we will look to others in our relationships to have to validate us. And so whenever we look to a person to heal us or complete us instead of God, then that original stronghold of that need will always manifest. And while it's good to have relationships and things that complement us, but when we get entangled and enmeshed in someone else's life, then their ups and downs become our ups and downs. And we all have the propensity to have idols in our lives. And we all might even have things that we find ourselves seeking from those channels only what God can give us. And it's not that we can't have those things, but we can't have those things above God. And that's what it tells us in Exodus 24 to 5, where it tells you you should not make yourself an idol. You should not worship them or serve them for I am your Lord, your God, and I am a jealous God. And so God has to be priority. And even with the blessings from God, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to spouses and friendships and all of that stuff, God has to be a priority. And he loves to bless us. He loves to bless us with spouses and relationships and friendships. But if we try and satisfy ourselves from that blessing or that relationship instead of God, then that thing will become an idol if we use what God gave us to win the affection and approval of other people. Because God didn't bless us with the blessing of a spouse or a relationship or a friendship in order to complete us, but to complement us. And when we seek to find our completion and fulfillment in that blessing, then it becomes an idol. And because idols take God's place, they become strongholds that give the enemy access. So while God intends a soul tie to be for our benefit and blessing, the enemy always comes with his counterfeit to corrupt and pervert what God ordained as pure. And the enemy does it in order to stir those bound together into darkness and disorder. So although God brings godly soul ties to take us to a greater place of our destinies, but the enemy will often come with a counterfeit. And so as a result, sometimes we can find ourselves joined to someone not in love, but in lust, thinking it's God, but actually it's a counterfeit which we have to break off. And so we have to unentangle and disengage from any ungodly soul tie that we may have, and it could have even started out as a blessing from the Lord. Otherwise, that relationship will end up driving our lives and impacting our capacity to enjoy true intimacy, and it will actually stop us from moving forward. And this would need to be done by getting some spiritual deliverance and breaking the lies that we have believed in our thinking and replacing them with God's truth which I'm going to do that at the end of this sesh. But 
Before we do that, I do actually want to give some practical strategies when it comes to breaking soul ties and when it comes to detaching from someone that you might have neurological bonding with. So in many cases, when it comes to breaking off soul ties, you might literally just need to break off soul ties from someone in your history that you don't even think about anymore. But obviously, because you recognize that the union with them was illicit, so you just break off the soul ties, give it to God and simply move on. And because you might not have any issues with thoughts about that person and may not even feel attached to them at all, then it's all dealt with and there's closure and it's job done. But then you might have situations where you've dealt with it spiritually and you've prayed a prayer to sever soul ties, like the prayer that I'll walk you through in a moment, but the person might still be in your thoughts. There could be a thousand reasons for that, and so neurological attachments would need to be broken, and mental pathways would need to be rewired, and strongholds would need to be broken. And again, like I said, I'm going to pray, but this is why it's also wise to remove any objects or sentimental gifts or mementos or keepsakes associated with any ungodly relationships from your life so that the door to those attachments isn't left open. And actually, so that you can remove the triggers that might cause you to think about that person or to relive the memories. Because let's face it, when you break up from someone that you may still be attracted to, then often you might want to keep looking at stuff which will remind you of them and your craving for them keeps having you zero in on your memories together but actually that stuff will just keep you attached so you've got to kind of be militant if you want to break attachments and get free and become whole and so practical strategies to break off attachments might obviously include not contacting them and intentionally not thinking about them whenever you fancy, which when you've got all these neurological attachments gluing you together will probably be quite frequently. So you would need to actively resist the thought of constantly thinking about them. And you'll need to take every thought captive, like scripture tells us to. And you might have to, in some cases, delete messages or remove your social media accounts or unfriend them. It just depends on how seriously you want attachments to be severed with them. And of course, sometimes when you break up with someone, it might be quite hostile. So locking off all contact and uprooting all memories might be the necessary thing. But then other times you might still be friends and in connection with each other, which might actually be a blessing to your life. But only you can be the judge of the doors that you choose to keep open and why. And because it's the soulish repercussions of counterfeit sex that we are talking about, everything really does boil down to our mind, will and emotions. So really, the key is mastering your thoughts and your emotions, because that's what gets impacted so powerfully in our neurology when we cleave with another and bond with them. And this is why it's so crucial to renew our minds, because our neurology is driven by our mind and the way we think. And so when we are able to master our thoughts, we are able to master our brain patterns and our choices and our actions. And so taking every thought captive, like the Bible tells us to in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 5. And so we have the God-given capacity to control our neurology by paying attention to our thoughts and by renewing our minds and causing structural changes to our brain by changing the way that we think. And I heard something very powerful from Caroline Leaf, who's a cognitive neuroscientist and author and a speaker who has studied the brain for decades that I actually found quite helpful about something called the every 10 second rule. So she explains that when it comes to processing our thoughts, we all have existing memories coming up of stuff we already know and we're aware of. And then we also have new information that we're receiving. So when it comes to our thoughts, we're thinking about things on the inside and then we're also responding to external signals and incoming new information. But she teaches that as humans, we have the capacity to stand back and actually observe our upcoming signals from information and experiences that we have had as well as the incoming information and compare them. And we can actually do this consciously every 10 seconds. And the minute we start paying attention to our thoughts, we actually start causing structural change in our brain. And so if we want to be set free from neurological attachments, we have to first self-evaluate and assess our thoughts. So for example, am I thinking of the person constantly? Am I constantly messaging them or calling them or talking about them? 
How am I responding to triggers that make me think of them? Am I deliberately triggering thoughts about them? Am I reliving moments with them? Am I fantasizing about them? Am I constantly drawn to their messages or their social media accounts? Am I feeding myself on them? Because if you are, then you aren't actually going to be able to unglue your soul from them. Because meditating on thoughts about them and staying connected to them mentally is strengthening the attachment that you have with them and it's feeding the craving that your brain has to still receive the feel-good rewards associated with them and so the bond is still there. And so as you assess this honestly, you have the capacity to become aware of where you're at emotionally and neurologically and you can then respond in a healthy way. But Often, if we don't do that and we just let the emotion of it all sweep us away and it then becomes so hard to actually disconnect from someone that you now have an unhealthy bond with. But when you are self-aware, then you can not only assess your thoughts and reactions on the inside, but you can also respond to triggers and incoming signals from a place of intentionality and power. And you can keep repeating that process and you can actually begin to establish new patterns of thinking. And also, although breakups are obviously not God's ideal for us, when it comes to his original design and when it comes to our health and well-being, but it doesn't dilute the very real pain or the anxiety that we might experience as a result of breaking up with someone. And so God actually wants to be there with us in the process of restoration and healing and partnering with him can at times literally supernaturally take the anxiety pain and sorrow away and it can walk you through it so that you are being taken through the process with God helping you to detach and renewing your mind and healing you and restoring you to wholeness. God can even renew your mind supernaturally where your brain divinely reconceptualizes and bam you're not even thinking of that person and they might still come to mind but you can literally just disregard the thought or use it as a trigger to thank God for a renewed mind or to bless and release that person and I believe he can also take away not just the memory but the craving and the ache that comes from withdrawing from that person and totally replace it with peace but it may not happen in just one supernatural encounter it may not happen with just one prayer it might be something that you keep asking God to do on a daily basis or moment by moment as you keep coming to him for fresh grace. Because although it might be dealt with in the realm of the spirit, it's often our mind and neurology that needs to catch up to it. And so many times it's a case of learning how to master our thoughts, how to break agreement with unhealthy memories and allowing God to uproot those memories and renew the mind and giving us a new picture and a new belief system that actually lines up with the word of God and what has already been done in the spirit. And it literally is a case of having our brain rewired towards a new way of thinking and a new attitude through the word and through worship and prayer. And so to bring things to a close, let me take you through a prayer to break soul ties and also pray some declarations that will replace lies that you may have believed about yourself. And this is something that you can totally do on your own and also with someone that you trust. So first, talk to God and ask the Holy Spirit to show you anyone or anything that you have a soul tie with through sexual bonding or intense emotional connection. If there are several names, then make a list if it will help. Include past relationships and same-sex relationships and attractions too and also include anyone that you may have developed a strong attachment to even if they were unaware of your feelings and if you've had sex before marriage in your current relationship um, and hopefully you're no longer having sex before marriage but it's still paramount that you break off all ungodly soul ties that would have formed between you both before continuing your relationship or before pursuing marriage Otherwise, pre-marital sexual activity will end up defiling your marital bed and will prevent godly soul ties from being formed once marriage does take place. And if you have godly soul ties with someone because of strongholds that were created from your past, then ask God to show you where you are believing lies that are stopping you from forming godly soul ties or where you have idols when it comes to relationships which end up creating ungodly soul ties in godly relationships. Um, and then finally... Ask God to show you if there are any like keepsakes or, you know, sentimental gifts that you need to remove from any past relationships. So let me 
pray. So this is for you to basically pray and um, fill in the blanks, guys. <sighs> Here we go. Dear Father God, please forgive me for every place of counterfeit attachment in my life, whether it's with a person or a virtual image, a fantasy or an object. I ask you, Father, to forgive me for forming ungodly soul ties. I ask you to deliver, cleanse and purify me from every single ungodly relationship and attachment. In the name of Jesus, I break and renounce every soul tie that I have with, and then you say their name, and sever any ungodly attachment to them. I command any fragments of their souls to return to them. And for all scattered and fragmented parts of my soul to return to me in Jesus name. So you will need to repeat this for every single person and object that you have a soul tie with. I break off every bond with them in the realm of the spirit. I forgive myself and forgive all those that I have an ungodly soul tie with. I release them completely. I plead your blood over my soul, Jesus, and I declare that it is sanctified in you. Thank you that I've been delivered from sexual sin and that you have endowed me with the grace and guidelines to walk in sexual purity. I thank you for a fresh start in my relationships and for wisdom, patience and desire to only be intimately connected with God-ordained relationships. Father, please forgive me for relationships that have become idols because of fears, unmet needs or wounds that I may have from my past. Please forgive me for believing lies and seeking to have my needs met from relationships instead of allowing you to meet my needs. I break off every place of unhealthy attachment that has been established in my soul. And where there's been a wound in my soul and my vulnerability has given entrance to the enemy to create an ungodly soul tie, I close that door off in the realm of the spirit. And I remove all idols that have been associated with that stronghold in Jesus name. Jesus, your blood covers these sins and I command these doors to be shut, never to open again. Let every cord of sin, shame, fear and soul ties from ungodly sources be severed now in Jesus name. Jesus, I invite you into my neurology, into my mental pathways, and I ask you to rewire the way that I think so that my mental pathways are in line with your word and with your truth. I ask you to remove every trace of chemical that keeps me attached to anyone from my past and I plead your blood over my neurology. And now Lord I replace every lie that I have believed about myself concerning self-worth, sexuality, intimacy and desirability with the truth of your word. I declare that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you that I have been made by you, that I am yours, that I have been made in your image, that I am complete in you, that you have engraved me upon the palm of your hands, 
that your walls are continually before me, that I did not choose you, but you chose me and appointed me that I would go and bear fruit and that my fruit would abide. Thank you that I am a new creation, that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I put on the new self right now, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There is now no condemnation for me because I am in you. And though at one time I may have been in darkness, but now I am light in the Lord. And I walk as a child of light. So I will fear not, for you have redeemed me. And you have called me by your name, and I am yours. I thank you for healing and wholeness. And I thank you for overcoming victory. Please fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and empower me to live for you. Help me to live a life that honours you and brings you glory in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. All related social media handles and links can be found in the notes section. If you did enjoy today's episode, then please do feel free to share it and do subscribe to the podcast if you want to know when a new episode is heading your way. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do that via Instagram or Facebook, or you can head over to livinginlight.co.uk. I cannot wait to be with you guys again, and thank you so much for listening to the Living in Light podcast. Because you're beautiful, so beautiful.